we just wanna be right now. And what do we see? Is everybody's on the floor acting crazy, flipping like after the lights out. Music's on, I'm waking up. We stop the fire, then we burn it up. And it's over now. We got the love, as we're sleeping now. And we're sleeping now. Sleep Hello, everyone. We're just about to start this evening's very special program in honor of Tuba Av. A very happy Tuba Av to everyone. The Jewish holiday of love. What a special day. I would say one of those um, under-celebrated Jewish holidays that I believe needs to be celebrated a little more. And so... Uh, Really excited to start. If you look here on your screen, you're going to see I just posted, uh, this is, as we say, hot off the press, um, Sunday, August 23rd, in two and a half weeks, I'm going to be doing a very special session with the world-renowned Dr. Asael Romanelli. If you've never heard him before, this man is unbelievable. He's raw. He's uncanny. He's one of the few therapists that really just speaks it as it is. We're going to answer all your questions. Um, he is in Jerusalem. So we're going to um, have this session at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is going to be 9 o'clock in the afternoon Jerusalem time. And we're doing that uh, Sunday, uh, August 23rd. So mark that, mark that date. And we're going to get started. Um, before we get started, I want to show you on the bottom of your screen, there should be a chat box. Uh, unfortunately, because of the amount of people we have here tonight, it's going to be very hard for us to um, unmute you. Maybe at the end, we're going to try to do that. But for most of tonight's session, we are going to um, use the chat box. We already received about 60 questions in advance. Some of the questions that we received are some of the most difficult questions I've ever gotten. And I am going to try my best tonight to address each and every question. I'm going to try to give it its time. We're going to have two hours to address all the questions. So please, if I don't address your question tonight, um, I may have to do a follow-up session in the next weeks and continue 
the questions. But I, I did um, have a chance to get to all, to all the questions to at least write them down here. And also, again, you can continue throughout the evening to post your questions in the box. And I'm going to go back and forth with live questions that you're asking now and questions that you sent me in advance. And we're going to go back and forth that way throughout the evening. I want it to be really enjoyable. So uh, grab a glass of wine, grab a tea, uh, relax. We're going to be talking about some very serious stuff. Uh, Just from what I've seen from the questions you've asked, I mean, wow. I did, that's all I can say. It's just absolutely wow. And uh, I know I'm kind of building it up, but it's true. It's just, it's unbelievable. Some of the questions. And I see, one of, one, I wanted to start off by saying that I have to generalize here. I have no choice. I don't want to generalize. And one of the reasons why I don't like just throwing out random things and I want to ask you questions that are real that are going on in your life right now is because then I'm not generalizing even though in my answer I'm generalizing but I'm speaking to a very very specific person I'm speaking to you for example so if I'm speaking to you then I'm hoping that it's it's less less generalized than it would be if I was let's say um, having to just ask a random question so with that Before we get to the questions, I thought that I would kind of, let's say, get our palates a little, a little wet, get, get used to each other a little bit uh, in this process. I want this to try to be as interactive as possible. That's what I'm hoping that we'll be able to be as interactive as we can uh, through the chat box, obviously. So a number of years ago, I was asked to write my top 10 dating tips. What would be my top 10? And it was very hard. I actually wrote 30. And so um, some of them were published, some of them weren't. But I decided to tonight to kind of re-look at my dating tips. And I'm going to start off this evening with going through my new set of top 10 dating tips. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. For the past 15 years, I have been talking, counseling, coaching, writing about relationships. I have been matchmaking. Uh, At this point, I think I've seen it all. Maybe I haven't. Uh, I actually, I'm going to say I haven't because I'm constantly shocked at all the new things that I've experienced vicariously through you. I've lived vicariously through lots of dates, through lots of relationships. And um, tonight, it's going to be a mix of my coaching, my counseling, and my experience. That's my hope. So, you know, it's, instead of just um, focusing on one or the other, uh, and obviously because I'm a rabbi, I can, uh, I can bring that into it. So here is my 10 dating tips. Number one, don't become good at dating. You'll never get married. Dating is the exact opposite of marriage. I've noticed that people who are too into dating, they actually don't get married. They become really good daters. But you don't want to be a good dater to be married. And what ends up happening when these really good daters get married is they end up getting divorced. And if you get too comfortable with your dating, 
when you get married, you end up really, really confused. And so my first tip to you this evening is don't become good at dating. Dating is not a game. Allow it to be a process. It is supposed to be a process through which you can find someone to get into a long-term relationship, to get into a real relationship, but it's not a game. Number two, you need to understand who you are before you date. I'm going to tell you a little secret here. Self-confidence is a really attractive quality to the opposite sex. And that self-confidence that I'm talking about is achieved when we start to feel good about the direction of our lives. It's not a product of your beautiful face or maybe uh, your bulging bank account. You're simply and quietly confident about your ability to contribute something positive to the world. And that is you understanding who you are before you date. Number three, don't take yourself too seriously. The less you try to impress, the more you will. The less you try to impress, the more you will. Dating should be an educated yet pleasurable experience. You have to go out and have fun and make sure the other person has fun as well. Ironically, the harder you try to succeed at dating, the less you're going to succeed. The more you try to impress, the less you're going to impress. The less you try to impress, the more you eventually will. You have to be yourself. You have to let the full vibrancy of your human potentiality manifest. That's your job. Your job is just to be yourself. Now, it's an awkward experience, and there's no way to unawkwardize, if I can use that word. There's no way to unawkwardize it. That's the reality of it, is it's an awkward experience. But if you take yourself too seriously, if you're going to try to to turn it into something that you're not, then first of all, why would you want someone to date a version of yourself that you're not really? Even if you are putting on a face, you want to be real. You want to be authentic. You want to be the real person that you are. So why do you want to try to turn yourself into something you're not and expect that you're going to be in a long-term relationship because of that? In our society, what's happened, and I've spoken before about the issues in our society with the dating process, But what's happened in our society is everything that we know in our dating experience is set up for an introduction, for a first date. We don't know what to do after that. I see so many great, potentially great relationships that go to the wayside because the people don't know what to do next. Everything in our society is built for that first date. And then what do you do? Okay, we see each other. I'm seeing you. You're seeing me. Wonderful. Happy birthday. Now what do I do? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? 
Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that... That's that's a tough thing. And the only answer that I can give to that is you want to be yourself. You want to be the, the most authentic of yourself that you can be. Okay, number four. I know you're going to hear this from a rabbi and you're going to be like, okay, yeah, you know, the guy with the kippah and the beard, he's going to say this. But I'm not just saying this as a rabbi. I'm saying this from my experience. Don't touch. I know you expected this one, but think about it for a second. Do you want to fall in love or do you want to fall in lust? Touch should be a sensual experience. And if it's not sensual, then you've completely desensitized yourself and you've become so good at dating that you may never get married. Touch blurs the lines between love and lust. So just think about it before you touch. That's all I'm saying. Number five, don't be afraid to talk serious. Don't be afraid to talk serious. Many engaged couple who come, many engaged couples who come to meet me have never had a serious conversation. And I'm always shocked that couples can be dating sometimes in the secular world for years and never have had a serious conversation. Don't be afraid to talk about life goals, about kids, about education, about your future plans. Part of the relationship, part of the courting is to share your goals, your future, where you see us together going. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It's where having a mutual past, having a mutual genesis story, a mutual point of origin is not even a fraction as important of having a mutual destination. You need to be on a similar path. Where you come from, it's wonderful. I mean, if you get the same jokes and if you have the same references, that's a wonderful thing, but it's not going to be the secret to a long-lasting and healthy relationship. Being on a, the same path, being on the same journey together, that is going to be the secret to a long-lasting and healthy relationship. So part of that relationship and part of that courting process is sharing goals. It's great to be on the same page from the get-go. You never know. Your date may surprise you with the answers when you do have that serious conversation. Just saying. Number six, right? Is that where I'm holding? Number six. Here's one I've thought about for a while. 
look for your compliment, not your sister. It's not Mr. Right, it's Mr. Right for me. Men and women are opposites by nature. Whoever said that thing opposites attract, they were trying to complicate something that is really simple. You're not trying to find your opposite. You're trying to find your complement, the complement of your soul, the complement of your being. And when you know who you are, you're going to recognize that compliment. Your date may be good looking. Your date may be attractive, but it doesn't mean that they're your compliment. And although the person you're looking for may bring so many things, most of those things are superficial. I always say if the singles really knew what was important in marriage, they'd have a whole completely different list. A soulmate, the person we're looking for, a soulmate brings you only one thing. But that is the most important, the most vital thing of all, and that is an end to your loneliness and a feeling that you are the most special person in the entire world. At the end of the day, when you strip away all the extraneous, that's what we really want. We just want an end to our loneliness and someone to think we're special. And so many superficial things that go through our minds They're just superficial things going through our minds. They don't really, really matter at the end of the day. Number seven. It's a relationship, not a negotiation. So don't ever settle. I hate that term. What does it mean anyway? Settling down. What does that mean? You're ready to settle down? No, I want to settle up. What, what, I don't understand what people are saying. Okay, you know, I decided after all these years of not settling, I'm now going to settle down. So how do you know what is settling and what isn't settling? Dating should never begin with what we have. It must begin with what we lack. You don't go into a relationship because you have something. You go into a relationship because you're missing something. And only by identifying the big thing that you're missing are you guaranteed to find someone who will be able to make you feel whole. So you don't have to settle down. You just have to identify what you're missing and make sure that other person can meet that need. Number eight, for those of you who are keeping track, stop trying to be your own soulmate. Many people that I meet, that I speak to, think that no one will ever be able to love them as much as they love themselves. It's true. They're right. We are a generation of self-sufficient people. We used to rely on others. We used to need others. Today, we have our own jobs. We have our own homes. We can afford to go on nice vacations. We can buy ourselves nice things. And this independence that we have is incredible in almost every way aside for the way we date. Years ago, people looked for one big thing, a lifelong partner. 
Today, we look for many different little things. We have a list. We have lists and lists of many little things. And I think the reason why is because people who are financially independent have a greater choice in their lifestyle. They need to end up making a laundry list of things that they want to find in a marriage. They don't really need any of it. It's just a good idea. It's not a real need. It's a want, a desire, but not a need. And many people today feel smug about themselves. It's hard to have a desire to share our lives, at least less superficially than Facebook. We don't feel this great need to search for our own soul and yet alone our soulmate. And so if you are your own soulmate, if you continuously fill that void that the other person is supposed to fill in your life, then you're just going to end up essentially marrying yourself. I, I know it's going to happen one day that someone's going to come to me and say, Rabbi, I've thought about it long and hard, and I decided it's time for me to marry myself. Please, can you marry me to my alter ego? Number nine, love is not tit for tat. Don't keep track. It's not a game. It's real life. There's no need to keep count of who paid for what and who did what. We live in a pluralistic society. So today we tend to share costs. I would say at least more than in previous years. And we need to learn to get satisfaction from giving and not from taking. When both people give to each other 100%, the rewards are endless. The secret to a long-lasting and loving relationship is giving, not keeping track of what you gave and worrying that the other person is taking or not taking too much. And finally, I would say the most important of all my 10, because I see this more than anything else, don't date to death. I'll tell you what I mean when I say this. So many great relationships end because the couple does what I call date to death. There's a natural evolution to the relationship. There's the initial courtship. There's getting to know each other. There's getting more serious. There's the proposal, the engagement, the marriage. There's also a progression to marriage, but we'll save that for a different time. Many people are simply afraid to commit. So they string their partners along until the relationship crashes. Allow the relationship to progress naturally. There's no need to hold it back. And what ends up happening is a lot of people, they're waiting. They're waiting for, for something great. I don't know. They're waiting for, for something in order to make sure that they know, you know, who's the right person or this is right. Don't wait. There's a woman that came to me a couple of years ago and she says, I've been dating this guy for three years. And I mean, he's not popping the question. I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. He's not popping the question. So I looked at her straight in the face and I said, this is a pluralistic society, isn't it? Yes. Don't women have everything that men have? Absolutely. I at least we hope so. So propose to him, get him a watch or something. Get down on knee and propose. Who said you can't propose? If you're really waiting and the guy's not proposing, propose. 
And she did. And he said, yes. Sometimes it's just a matter of semantics. I know that it's so nice, you know, everyone has this picture perfect idea, the guy's gonna propose and it may not work that way in real life. All these picture perfect ideas that we have of our lives. Look at what's going on in our lives right now. Is it a picture perfect idea? Absolutely not. So sometimes we have to be more creative and we have to take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and do what we have to do. Now, I'm gonna start getting to your questions. I hope that that gave you a little bit of a kind of wet your palate, so to speak. Now we can get into some of the nitty gritty questions. Okay. A number of the questions that I got from you were similar. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to put some of those questions together so it may not be exactly the way you asked it, but I'm gonna to try to also go in order from those that sent me questions in advance. I'm gonna go in order of what was most popular to least popular as far as the questions. There was, one, there was a couple of questions that came in that were very similar. So there was one specifically that came in that was the most similar, and I'm gonna ask it um, as a, in, in the best way I can. The question was, what is the best way to meet someone? To meet, somebody said marriage-minded, to meet a good person, to meet, um, it seems to me and you, that people are having a very difficult time meeting in this social age where with, through technology, it's supposed to be so much easier. It seems to be that it's so much harder. So the first thing I'm going to tell you to answer that is the best way to meet is friends. What I want you to do is I want you to think of a friend. It could be a friend that's your age that's married. It could be a friend that you know who's probably dating a lot of guys or girls that are similar to you. So if, if, he's, if she's dating guys, it could be he was a great guy, just not for her. And I want you to text that person right now. Just take out your phone and text them and ask them, you know, you've dated guys. You know me. Anyone you dated that wasn't for you, that's good for me. Text your married friends. You must meet someone. People know people. And people who know you are going to be able to think, but they don't think of themselves as matchmakers. No, I don't do that. No, you're just helping me out. I'm just asking you, do you know a guy? Do you know a, a woman that you can set me up with? The most successful matches happen from friends. Instead of going to events, instead of all these other things extraneous, think of a friend and ask them. Just, I just need one. We don't need 10, we just need one. Ask your friend and, and be, be courageous about it. You're not, you're not gonna feel like you're desperate. You're, you're saying that you, you're my friends. You're looking out for me, you know me. You're gonna know if someone's good or not good for me. It could be they dated someone who wasn't good for them but wasn't a bad person. And that, will, and that person will work for you. 
And it could be they just weren't thinking, oh, set my friend up. Some people have that natural thought process, but some people don't have that natural thought process. The best matches are made by friends. Before Corona, we used to say, you know, go to weddings, go to events, go to fundraisers, go to synagogues, go to, you know, go get out there. Those work or they don't work because what I find at a lot, at a lot of these events is people kind of stay in their own clusters. So unless you're really social or you're really someone who can get out of the box, it's really hard to not, you know, you want to go with a friend, you end up staying in your own cluster, so you don't really meet anyone. And meeting someone, especially for a relationship, takes a certain level of vulnerability. And that's tough. That's really, really tough. As far as matchmakers, I mean, I have a, there's a lot of people here from a lot of different parts of the community. There's people who are very religious here. There's people who are very secular, people who are modern Orthodox, people somewhere in between, somewhere traditional. We, we have really the whole gamut. So within particular communities, there are really good matchmakers within particular communities. Within some other communities, it's, it's not popular. And some of the matchmakers are very expensive and, uh, and they don't really show very good results because they need to have a database of people that they can choose from. And a lot of them don't have those databases. I don't know of any matchmaker per se that I would recommend offhand. What I would say is one of the reasons why I started J Montreal was exactly for that reason. And what we did with J Montreal is we, we created a portal through which um, many other dating sites can come into J Montreal. It's a one-way street. So it's a portal that we feed in through many other dating sites. They are happy because we help populate and, and get their members um, dates. And we're happy because we um, now have um, North America, we have 70, over a little over 70,000 people that, that, that between J Montreal and then the portals that come into it, there's 70,000 people. I mean, and there's a lot of the popular sites that you know about portal into our site. So one of my goals of creating that was to create a massive database so that we have um, more people to choose from. What I, what I would also um, tell you with regards to online dating is a lot of people look at a particular, I, I don't, I mean, I'm going to talk about it later because I know people ask me questions specifically having to do with online dating, but people look at these online dating is like, oh, well, is the person right or wrong for me? You just need to know, am I interested enough in the person to be able to just have a coffee or a call? You're, I'm not asking you to marry them. We're not going to the chuppah today. You just need to, and somehow we have these defense mechanisms. No, it's got to be right. Yeah, you know what? You may end up not working out. Okay, so you go to the next one. It's okay. But just the, 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 easy, the easy press of the button, no, 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 swiping right, swiping left, if that works for you, it's too easy. You just have to say, is this possible? Is this, is it, could, it could be. Say yes. You never know what's going to happen. I'm going to talk more about online dating a little later because some people ask me some more specific questions having to do with online dating. I'm going to now move into some of the live questions. I'm just going to keep on going back and forth between questions that were asked before and live questions because I want you to also be asking me your, your questions now. And if another question comes up as I'm talking, please ask it. If I don't get to it this time, I will get to them. 
don't worry. Um, if I do not have a close girlfriend and my friends are boys, we'll take it very personally. Like, why not him? So I said before about friends and um, setting you up, this woman is saying here that she has no close personal girlfriend. She has friends that are boys and the boys are gonna say, well, or the men are gonna say, um, you know, why aren't you interested in me? And my question to you is, why aren't you really interested in them? I'm gonna tell you a secret person, uh, person here, whoever asked me. I see your name, but it's private. Tell me, um, why don't you consider these guys? A lot of people go to the friend zone right away. The secret I'm going to tell you from a male perspective is, I'm not saying all the time, but nine times out of 10, the men are interested in you. They're not your friends. They want you to make the move. They want you to go to the next level. They're not, I don't really truly believe in platonic relationships. I think a lot of women want to have platonic relationships. I'm, again, I'm generalizing. I have to for the sake of this conversation. But I will tell you that a lot of those men are interested in you. And maybe it's time that you just say, okay. I mean, you're like, oh, I don't want to mess up a friendship. It's not a friendship. You think it's a friendship. It's not a friendship. These guys are waiting for you to make the move. So, and you even said it. They're going to take it personal that you're not interested in them. Well, be interested in them. Maybe these are the people who've been hanging out with you all this time. Maybe they're the ones that you want to look into. Just saying. Someone else just asked, does J Montreal extend beyond Canada? Yes. All of North America. We have, uh, we have people in, in all over North America. So absolutely. And you can choose whether you want someone in your local city or you want someone further, further out. And you can decide how you want that. J Montreal is very easy to use. And as many of you know, right now, I'm on this incredible matchmaking blitz. Uh, we already have 131 couples dating since I started this blitz. And uh, constantly trying to send setups. Uh, sometimes, and I'll tell you this, and some people get frustrated with me, I send um, setups that I'm not even 100% sure just because I want to get it out there. I, I, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not the, as professional as I think I am. And I want to just give you the opportunity to be able to, to do it. And people are so click. They're so easy to click the button. The worst thing that I see when people are clicking is they'll say, I'm not interested because of personality. Tell me something. How do you know personality from a picture and a profile? I don't understand that. I'm going to go back to the questions that came in before tonight's event. When I go on dates with men, this is the question. When I go on dates with men, first dates, second dates, a lot of them seem to be telling me all their problems. As much as one day I'd like to be able to be a good listener and an ear for my partner, on, in, in, in these cases, I just met them and I don't think the first date is a place to talk about how and what you hate about your job and about your colleagues and about your past relationships and other various issues. They will talk to me for an hour about something in their life that they're not happy with and don't even try to get to know me. Why do men do this? That is a great question. Just a great question. So I'm going to nitpick on the question a bit before I answer it. It's interesting how you worded your question 
You didn't ask, how can I make them stop? You didn't ask me, how can I avoid men like this? You just asked why. And I'm going to tell you that I think that's a really great attitude. I think that we need to ask open questions and understand the issues that we're going through from other people's perspectives. Before we can even begin to think of solutions, we have to start with that. So to analyze this, and again, I have to generalize because I want to not only talk specific, but also talk to the rest of us who may or may not relate to this. I'm going to overdo it a little bit with my generalizations. So um, just hold your nose and keep your tongue in your cheek. Let's think about a typical life for an average guy that you may date. Your average guy goes to work and he's going to work. He's probably looked down upon at his job. I'm just assuming this again. I'm generalizing, overgeneralizing. Probably he dislikes his job because it's not meaningful enough. Probably he feels like he's underpaid. And whichever of these doors you pick, a lot of these men are just not happy. I mean, I think generations before people were happier at work, or maybe, I don't know, I I didn't live then. But I can tell you today, people are not happy at work. And one of the things I think that Corona did for a lot of people is they questioned themselves, you know, what am I really doing with my life? And I'm assuming my assumption is that the guys that you're dating are Jewish. And what ends up happening is you have this perfect storm of kind of, you know, not happy and Jewish and complaining and all that stereotype that we know so well that most of us grew up with. And the complaints are like a pressure tank. And every so often they need to be vented. And so who do they have to vent to? Well, other males are out of the question. Heaven forbid, do they want to, uh, you know, talk to their friends about it if they have any friends. Men don't like to be vulnerable to other men. I, I didn't say that. The American Psychological Association did. But men don't like to be vulnerable to other men. His mother, is he going to be vulnerable to his mother? That's a bad idea. And if the stereotypes are believed, then his mother is probably the queen of kvetching and the master of privilege shaming and once grandkids. So she could remind him so often of how much harder life was. And they complained to him about that. When we were younger, we used to walk uphill both ways, barefoot in the snow, in the summer, you know it all. What about friends? Well, some people don't like to communicate deeply anymore. It's very, even in friendships. I find that a lot of men today suffer from the epidemic of loneliness. And I did some research because you sent me this question earlier. I did some research and I found out that there was this general social survey in the United States that found that the number of people who said they don't have any close friends to discuss important matters tripled from 1985 to 2004. And it quadrupled for men. So I'm sure that the increase in superficial relationships 
let's say via social media, that's 2004, for example, has a further isolation and it's isolated us from one another. So the men you're meeting, they have a lot to vent about, but they have nobody to talk to. And they probably can't afford therapy because they're underpaid. So when they do actually get someone's undivided attention, which is your date for a few minutes, and even better, someone of the opposite gender with whom they can be vulnerable, it's like free therapy. So what do we do about it? I think that we need to deduce that men and the men that you're dating don't even realize how much they're talking about themselves. It's all subconscious. They have someone who's listening and all of a sudden they just, it all comes tumbling out. It doesn't necessarily mean that that guy's narcissistic and it doesn't mean that he's uninterested in you or uninterested in other people. He just might be lonely. And so my suggestion to you is listening a bit and then give him a little a polite reminder, like something along the lines of, would you like to know more about me as well? Just, just kind of, you know, if you, if you nudge it along, I think that eventually um, he's going to get the point. And if he, if he is narcissistic, you'll be able to see that as well. Okay. Back to your live questions. Well, lots of questions coming in. Okay. Um, I guess this is continuous from the last question. My best friend is male and he treats me like a princess. We have known each other for 17 years and he represents everything I want, but we're only friends. He has a girlfriend and still shows me, showers me with gifts, trips, fine dining. What does that mean? I'm 99.9% sure that we're basically siblings at this point. Yeah, it could be. I'm not saying that you're not. It's possible that you're siblings. The fact that you're saying the word siblings, that would be my guess, is that you've become siblings. You've gone into the friend zone for so many years. 17 years is a long time. And that really uh, built a good friend zone. So you probably got rid of any potential romance there. So I would agree with you on that case. But um, that is an exception. And what you're saying is an exception and not... Um, not the rule. I'm just going to do another one that's live here. Uh, I hear that women need to flirt with a guy. I'm really not comfortable flirting, probably because of the unknown and the connection it brings. How can I show enough interest within my comfort level that will be enough for a guy? Dating is not a game. Dating is not a game. I can't say it enough. Show your authentic self. I don't know what flirting means, but I don't think you have to push yourself. I don't think you have to be more than who you are already. Just show the best side of yourself. You don't have to try to impress him or do more. Just be natural, be real. Don't you want to be in a relationship with someone who accepts you for who you are? Instead of someone who accepts you for the flirtiness that you are? I don't think that you need to turn it into a thing. You're not competing with the rest of the female race. You're just competing with yourself. So why not 
bring out the best version of yourself at first. And if he doesn't like that, so what are you doing with him to begin with? Just saying. I'm going to go through another one here on the, on, on the live chat. I don't care about having a career, but I don't feel comfortable saying that these days. How do you think men would react to being the sole breadwinner? And these days, is that something that men are not comfortable with? And, that, and it's not about education. I actually have a master's degree, but that's not where I feel most useful in life. I find that a lot of singles, I hate to use that word also, but people who are not yet found their other half, generalize, like say things like men these days. I'm not interested in men these days, and I'm not interested in women these days. I'm interested in you and him, or you and her. Individualize it. Don't, for some reason, it became this game where we generalize everything. Oh, people these days, there's nobody good out there for me. You're not looking for 100 people. You're looking for one. That's it. You don't need to generalize. Oh, people these days. Oh, it's a terrible world. Yeah, you can look at it that way. But you can also look at it and say, I just have to find one who really appreciates me. And I think that you don't have to put that in your dating profile. But once you meet someone and they appreciate you for who you are and you say, I want to be able to actualize my purpose and my, who I am in this world and working is not a way for me to do that right now. Okay. That person should through their love and their connection and their ability to see who you are, really, they should say, yes, that's right. So what ends up happening, and, and the longer you date, the longer you date, the longer you're in the dating scene, I don't know, whatever, the, the, the longer you're single, it kind of, we end up creating these relationships in our head. They're not real relationships. They're just, they're just versions of reality that we've created in our head. So we say, oh, well, no one's going to want me for that. How do you know? Did you ever try it out? Do you have proof? Do you do studies to prove whether or not it's true? So I think that the person that is going to be good for you is going to appreciate you for who you are. And if it means that they're the sole breadwinner, okay. But it could be that you're going to have to be flexible also in that relationship because it could be that you won't be able to afford that. And you may have to go to work, especially since you're educated and you could. Life is fluid. It's not one-dimensional. It's three-dimensional. So life is fluid. Whatever comes at you, that's what you take. Stubbornness is really not a good quality for a long-term relationship. Okay. Um, just one more here that just came in. What happens if you believe that you're simply really bad at first impressions? I don't know anyone who believes that they're good at first impressions. Actually, I do know some people, but I wouldn't date them. They're usually players. I'm going to tell you this. Here's another secret for you. The person you're going to marry may not be a good dater, but they're probably going to be a good spouse. 
So if you're bad at first impressions, just figure out a way to get over the, it's every first, every interaction, especially when you're dating and you're set up and you go on that first date, it's awkward. And there's really no way to unawkwardize it. It's just awkward. And you just say the thing, bring it out there and say, it's awkward. Let's move on. And, and that first experience, that first date, there's really no way to change that. It's just going to be awkward. So I really don't know anyone um, who would say that impressions, that the first impressions are good. Okay. I'm going to go back to the questions that I got before tonight's class. I've had issues dating Jewish women in the past. I recently met a non-Jewish woman online, and we have gotten along really well on our first few dates. My parents aren't happy, but I'm really happy. What should I do? I want to date a Jewish woman, but this one seems like she's right for me. And I know what you're, you're looking at me. You're like, what is the rabbi going to answer to that? I don't envy your job. I know what you're thinking. I can see your eyes. Those of you I can see, you're like, I don't envy that job. What is he going to say? So I'm going to start off by going through some of the standard answers that you might get to this question. So the standard Jewish mother answer is something like this. Guilt. Guilt. The Holocaust more guilt, Jewish grandchildren, guilt. How could you do this? Or no son of mine. The standard rabbi answer that you would get is something like, to stroke my beard, if I'm going to give a standard rabbi answer. Marriage is different than dating. Think about the children. Think about the conflicts that will come up. What happens when her mother wants to bring your kids to church? And with the divorce rate, I have to sing it in a sing song. You know, the, the rabbi sing song. And with the divorce rate, as high as it is, do you need the extra stress on your relationship? That's the standard rabbi answer. I can go with either of these, but there's a real struggle in the way that you're asking your question. I looked at your question. What should I do? I want to date a Jewish woman, but it just hasn't worked out in the past. In other words, I could try and motivate you, but in your eyes, it hasn't worked out. And despite your initial motivation to marry Jewish, as a rabbi, as someone who really truly believes in the future of the Jewish people, I have my own question for you. Why has this happened to you? You tried doing what you believed was the right thing. You followed your parents' wishes. So why would God, a good and kind God, make your life so difficult by presenting you with this dilemma Maybe, I'm just saying, 
Maybe it's a test. Do you want to marry Jewish because your parents and your culture want it or because you really want it? You're obviously conflicted, but who's on which side? Was your desire to marry Jewish just a case of passively blowing with the wind? I, I really would say that nobody wants to be passive when it comes to relationships. Don't be passive. Don't just do it because someone said. Don't just do it. You have to find that authentic person who you really are. <clears throat> who you really are. My first piece of advice to you is don't take such a passive stance. Marriage is not always about taking the path of least resistance. Like I met someone and now I'm stuck. Statistically, there are hundreds of women out there that you could be compatible with. And statistically speaking, majority of them would be Gentiles. So do you just hop on with the first compatible girl you meet? What is compatibility? Let's talk about that for a moment. Liking each other, getting along. is really the only prerequisite for dating. But it's just one of many prerequisites for a healthy marriage. I always say, if the singles knew what was important in marriage, they would have a whole different list. I would challenge you to compile a realistic shortlist of what you need in the long term. Ideally, you should write down Three things that you can't live with and three things you can't live without. If you want to know how to do that, if you've never done that before, I have a list that I've sent many of you before and I can send you if I have never sent it to you that if you go through, it's a four-part exercise that I believe um, really will help you figure this out. And then once you have that list, pursue it vigorously. Don't just wait around for whoever shows up. Don't be passive about it. Otherwise, the right person could show up and you have no idea. Do you know something insane? There was a study that came out a couple of years ago from the National Marriage Institute at Rutgers University that said by the time you're 35, you will have dated four people you could have married. People are dating people and they have no idea that it's the right person because they don't know what they're looking for. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're never going to find it. So instead... I want you to define your values, decide what is truly important to you and go after it. And if Judaic participation, whatever that means on so many levels is important to you, then being Jewish deserves a place on that list. But don't do it because I said so, and don't do it for your parents, do it for yourself. Figure it out for yourself. Find out who you are authentically. If it's important to you, do it for yourself and stick to it. But I have something else to ask you. If it's not important, why did you come here tonight? And why did you bother asking a rabbi this question? I want to say one last thing to you. 
I understand that you've had trouble dating Jewish women in the past. You said that in your, in your question. Luckily, we're not a monolithic community. And there's a lot of bad stereotypes out there. I encourage you, don't get caught up in the stereotype. If you set up your own goals, if you set up your own values, and you look for someone who shares them, then you're going to find your soulmate sooner rather than later. And I'll tell you this, I'll be rooting for you and probably so many others will as well. I'm going to go back to, I hope that satisfied you with that, with, with, with that answer. I hope it was satisfactory. It's a rough question. It's a hard question. And I know that it's been answered in so many different ways. So I hope that satisfied you. I'm going to go back to um, some of your questions here. Um, someone asked for J Montreal info. It's jmontreal.com. You can use marketing code rabbi's gift and it's free, completely free. And right now I am on this just crazy matchmaking blitz. It's Tuba Av. It's the Jewish holiday of love. The stars are right. Everything is in the right place. I am trying my best to help as many people as possible. If here, I'm just going to show you this just so you can get an idea of um, what I've been doing. This is my, I just screenshotted my matches from this week. I have 134 people dating. I have 515 current setups, which means like they're, they're in the process of, of setting up and 46 people who have been dating for longer than three weeks. So what I'm telling you is we're, on our, as, as, as much as possible, going to try to make sure that we can help you out. So that is jmontreal.com and use the marketing code Rabbi's Gift and you have my gift. Okay. What do you do if you're worried that you'll never get married because you are afraid no one out there is meant for you? Can I just be sad for you for a moment? Just want to let that land and just be sad for you. Why don't you think anyone's out there for you? You just need one. That's it. You don't need 10. How can it be possible there's no one out there for you? That's a, such a strong statement. I don't know. I'm really sad for you. I don't have any answer. I'm just, I'm going to pray for you. I see your name here. If you have a Jewish name, send it to me and your mother's name. I'm going to pray for you because I believe that there has to be someone out there for everyone. I have seen so many incredible, incredible stories, incredible people over the course of my years doing matchmaking and coaching and working with people. Um, I, I mean, I can set you up. You know what? Maybe um, I started off by telling you that on Sunday, the 23rd of August, I'm going to be doing this session with this world-renowned therapist. Maybe we'll ask him this question and see what, uh, what he has to say. Uh, I, I really, uh, it's really difficult. Maybe you need some therapy. Maybe he would be a good therapist for you. Um, maybe you need some coaching. I have some openings if, uh, if you need some coaching. It's really rough. It's really, really rough. Next person asks, why do we feel like we can always find someone better? It's just being scared to commit? Question mark. Yeah, 
I see that a lot. A lot of people think they're going to find better. The grass is always greener. It's not about someone better. So what if that person's better? It's about what you have, not what you don't have. I'll tell you something fascinating. There were people who 15 years ago came to me and they were so unrealistic about their dating. And I said to them, you are unrealistic about your dating. You're not going to find anyone. And I look at them 15 years later and they're still not married. So just appealing to your senses, maybe there is someone out better out there for you, but what you have is always better than what you don't have. And this is the person who's in front of you right now. And probably you are scared to commit and probably you do need a little bit of help and a little bit of guidance and that's okay. It's a really big deal to commit. So you're allowed to be scared to commit. Just allow that to land, allow that yourself to experience that feeling of being scared to commit. It's okay to be scared to commit. It's really, really okay. It's a really difficult thing, but there is somebody out there for you. And the person who's there now is much better than the person who you may think will be there later. Okay, I'm gonna go back to the questions that I got before this class. This is a little bit uh, philosophical. One of the deepest, this is the question, one of the deepest philosophical issues surrounding relationship is determining the role of the ego, the self, in the relationship. Um, Just so you know, the person who sent it to me, I happen to know them, and they're a psychologist. So that's why, just to know where the question is coming from. How do you balance the presence of the self and the other? Should you completely let yourself go? Should you completely surrender your identity, so to speak, to unite with the other person? Should they surrender their identity to you? Or do you need to meet in the middle? Um, I originally wasn't going to ask this question, but I guess I, I, I put it here, but I wasn't planning on asking because it's such a, you know, so much psychology. You know what? I'm just going to answer it. I already asked it. I'm going to answer it. I think that there are three, I think there are three ways of approaching any relationship. First, there is an ego-centered way. Ego-centered way to approach a relationship is what do I get out of this relationship? What's in it for me? And those benefits can range from altruistic to animalistic. I mean, you can also have a highly refined what's in it for me. But at the end of the day, it's completely ego-centered. If you ask, what am I going to get out of this relationship? You're asking the wrong question. Don't get into a relationship if you're looking to get something. You're going to get nothing out of the relationship if you're asking, what am I going to get out of it? You might be getting someone to help you pay the bills. You might be getting someone to do your laundry or share your love for fine art. But at the end, the focus is on you. That's not what you want. You might as well just be in a relationship with yourself for that matter. Marry yourself. Why do you want someone else to focus on you? And so many people get their, 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 they get let down because they have this expectation. And usually 
any expectation is an unrealistic expectation. They have this unrealistic expectation of what the relationship is supposed to be like. And all of a sudden they get into, into the relationship and it's not anything like what they thought it was going to be. Obviously, it's not anything like it was, you thought it was going to be because what you thought was in your head. It wasn't real. Now it's real. This is real life. Welcome to real life. Happy birthday. Glad you can join us. Pull up a chair. So, and I say this often to, to young couples, to, to, to newly married couples, because this is a big problem with the expectations that people have. Well, I didn't, I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get out of the relationship. Well, guess what? It's very nice that you thought that, but that was when you were in a relationship with yourself in your head, not in a relationship with someone else. Now that you're in a relationship with someone else, don't ever say, what can I get out of it? because you can get nothing out of it. You're here to give, not to get. That's number one. Number two, the next way of looking at relationship would be to focus on connection. This happens when you're into, quote unquote, you're into the other person. You love and you respect that person. You want to connect with them. You want to, you're, you're, you're connecting them with them at any opportunity. And the focus here is not what you get out of the relationship, but doing things that connect you to each other. And typically, this would involve doing things that the other person enjoys. And ideally, that person should be doing the same for you, doing things that you enjoy. And the issue with focusing on connection is that it leaves the self behind. You're mostly thinking about how you can connect and not about how you yourself feel. You're not asking questions like, where am I in all of this? Or how do I feel and do I get anything out of it? And it's funny because I know I just said, don't ask yourself that. But if you end up becoming a doormat and you're only there for the other person, that's not good either. The, the answer is, is that in order to have true intimacy with someone, you need yourself to be in the relationship. You have to share your emotions and your desires with your partner. But emotions and desires, they tend to be selfish. So it's this oxymoron. In a way, you're supposed to be there for the other, giving, but you also have to share yourself. So what I say to you, is share yourself, but don't let it take you away from connecting with and serving the needs of the other person. So share yourself, be there, but also connect with the other. And this is, I believe, the idea of having a soulmate. Having a soulmate is something very special. When you believe that the person you're with is your soulmate, it means that being together isn't about you getting anything out of it or your need to connect. But being together is about your personal needs and even your need to connect with someone else. Being with your soulmate, I believe, fulfills a greater purpose that you're meant to be together. And I think that when this happens, 
people often realize that it's part of their greater purpose in life. And achieving intimacy is the delicate balance between the self and the other and the relationship. It's not about you. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve your need for connection. It's about fulfilling what you're needed for. Ask not what I need, ask what I'm needed for. Becoming the best that you can be by achieving true intimacy with someone else. And as a result of that experience, you will get your needs fulfilled and the relationship won't be selfish. It's amazing. You're gonna get exactly what you wanted and you won't be selfish. It's how you stay healthy and strong in order to fulfill your purpose. Connecting to the other person in the relationship isn't self-denial. It's how you become a better person in order to fulfill your purpose. So practically speaking, this means that you need to think about what your purpose is. How does your relationship help bring you to this place? Or if you're in a relationship already, do you have a purpose as a couple? I mean, I could write a book about this. I'm writing a book about something else right now. I'm writing a book called Why Bother Getting Married? My Case for Marriage in the 21st Century. It's coming out in a few months. But definitely this is a great subject for a book because the strength of couples who find a united purpose for their relationship is the most amazing thing. And if you haven't found your purpose, maybe now is the time to think about it. And I think that if you're not in a relationship, it can also help you find your soulmate as well. Okay, back to my li the live questions. <sighs> How much does initial attraction based on shidduch resumes or photos matter? I know that attraction can build once a couple meets and gets to know each other's character, but does there need to be at least some initial physical attraction in regards to the shidduch resume photo in order to give the person a chance. So this is someone who's obviously religious and they're doing a shidduch, they're doing a dating resume, but the same thing with a profile. The question is, is a great question, is do resume and profile photos matter? I think that the, the shidduch photo is one part of the puzzle of attraction. Attraction is a complex, complex mix of things that is not theoretical. The only way to experience attraction is in real life. The only way to experience that chemistry is to actually date. You can't get it from a profile. You can't get it from a picture. So what ends up happening, if I had my way, I would just set up blind dates. Because I think that there's two things that happen. Number one is people look at the picture. Does anybody, I don't look good in pictures. I, I'm looking at myself, looking at the, the, the self that, that's looking at you. I'm like, ew, who's this person? The unkept beard. I mean, I need some new beard product. Uh, my, my, I need a haircut. I, I feel like I don't look good in video. I don't look good in picture. I feel big, fat. Who, who looks good in a picture? So, and you're going to, 
you don't want someone to judge you based on your picture. So why are you judging them based on their picture? That's why I think if I can do only blind dates, that would work perfectly. But unfortunately, it's not the world we live in. And you have to think about it because the picture is a dangerous tool because it's literally a snapshot of a millisecond in time. Some people look at one picture, they don't like it, and they say no. And this is a huge mistake, a huge mistake. Some people will say no because there's no picture. Really? Here I, I, I sent someone based on your profile, based on your preferences, and you're looking for a picture? Who cares about the picture? I, you care about the person. Are you marrying a picture? Are you in a relationship with a picture? I mean, there are pictures of very attractive people that look terrible. If you know how to look at a picture as a snapshot of one moment in time, if you look at the picture in context, then you're able to evaluate whether or not it's a good picture. And maybe you can help you understand the person a bit, like what are they experiencing at that moment with their emotions? Think about it. That's the picture they chose to put on their dating profile. Like what, what does that say about their emotions? If the first date is awkward. Probably the picture is going to be awkward because like, oh, okay, um, Sarah, I'm making you a dating profile. I need a picture. Uh, um, um, I don't know. Like, okay. You know, it's, it's scary. It's scary. The whole, the whole, the whole picture. Or maybe it's a photo of someone in a beautiful place, traveling, they're happy. And it shows, it could show about a person that you couldn't find out on a simple date. But you have to remember that the problem today with our social media selves, our personas, is that it's fake. We're putting ourselves on display and you can't trust that. And that is what's happened. We have put fake personas on display. So I think that pictures could be useful and they could be counterproductive. So you, it's a tool you have to know how to use, but don't just rely on the picture. The point is that you're not just going to an event and seeing someone. You actually have more, you have a profile there. You can read what someone wrote about themselves and you can rely a lot more on who the person is, on the personality more than the picture. That would be my, my advice to you. Okay, next one. How and when should one bring up finances while dating? Okay. Um, I think that it's really important to know the expectations of the other person and what lifestyle they expect to have. Do they want to work a, a nine to five job? Do they have a hobby? Uh, do they like to stay at home, self-employed? Who are they? Do they expect you to make a ton of money and not be at home much? Or do they want you to be more present at home? And you have to ask yourself, are their expectations of you, if there are any, hopefully not, in line with what you see for yourself? Somebody asked a question before about working or not working. So what I would tell you is financial finances in general are one of the big seven issues that come up early on in, in, in marriage. And so it's a cause of a lot of marital problems. And I would suggest, I'm not saying bring it up on the first date, 
but bring it up. If you're dating in the religious community, I would say the fourth or fifth date. And if you're dating in the secular community, probably four or five months. Um, and if you're somewhere in the middle between religious and secular, I don't know, two months. But I think it needs to come up early enough on in the relationship that it's not too early, but not too late. Somewhere kind of where you're at that breaking point. Remember I talked earlier about dating to death. So when you're at that point where you're kind of the chemistry is working and you're now going to start talking about some serious stuff, talk about it. That's a really important thing because you want to be on the same page for that. Okay, next one. If I'm dating someone and it's beyond the third date, so I'm guessing this is a religious person, or maybe even not, I don't know, I'm just guessing, and I ask him something about someone, uh, something personal, that is, he said, and he doesn't want to answer. Is that a red flag? Okay, okay, I'm gonna, I, I understand the question. You're, you're, you're dating someone for a while. I don't know, third date or third month, you're dating someone for a while. And they asked something personal. So sorry, they told you something personal. And then you bring it up again later. And the person doesn't want to answer. So they brought it up. And then they kind of shoved it away. And then you brought it up later and the person doesn't want to answer. This person is asking me, is it a red flag? How open should couples be with each other about personal struggles? I would turn to that person. I really believe in not assuming. Don't assume, ask. Don't assume, ask. Don't be scared. Don't be scared you're gonna mess up a good thing. Here's another secret. Relationships need ruptures. In order for your relationship to grow through the various stages of the relationship, they need ruptures. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. We end up getting caught up in this flurry of fake ideas of, oh, I'm in a relationship now and I don't want to mess up a good thing. And so therefore, we're not going to talk about things serious because then I'm going to be messing up a good thing. I mean, I could not believe that a, a number of months ago, I had a couple, an engaged couple in my office. So for those of you who don't know, um, in order for me to preside over a wedding, I require the couple to go through premarital counseling. And I have a whole program that I created now that I'm working on uh, giving to rabbis because there is nothing like that in the Jewish community. It's one of my big passion projects right now to create a premarital program to give couples tools. It really started when I was holding a cup of wine in my hands and I looked up at this beautiful couple under the chuppah and I looked at all these guests and looked back at this couple and back at the wine. And I was about to make the bracha, the blessing under the chuppah. And I thought to myself, what did I do to deserve to make a blessing on this marriage? What did I do? What did I do to help this couple be set up for a long-lasting and healthy relationship? What did I do? The divorce rate is over 50% now. The rabbis are the first line of defense. We need to stand up and teach as many tools as we can to these couples who are getting married so that we can set them up and give them a toolbox for a long-lasting and healthy relationship. So one of the things that I created was a questionnaire. It's a 45-minute questionnaire that each of the couples fill out. And then I do an analysis of the relationship, the strengths and the weaknesses of the relationship. Every couple has strengths and every couple has weaknesses. 
And then we talk about, we build the strengths and also we build up the weaknesses as well. But at least we know what are the strengths and the weaknesses of that relationship. And I also ask random questions. Like for example, one question is, how many kids do you wanna have, right? That should be a pretty standard premarital question. How many kids do you wanna have? So I, I had this couple in my office a few months ago and they say, um, I see, I'm preparing their, their, I see they're both their questionnaires and I'm preparing for them to come and I'm doing the analysis of their, of their relationship. And I see he, she answered three kids and he answered zero. Now they're a secular couple. They had been dating for two years and already been engaged for about eight months, two years and eight months. And they had no idea. They never had a conversation about kids. That was one of the most difficult conversations I've ever had with a couple. We ended up coming to, I mean, zero to three is a big move. But what I said to him is zero to one is much bigger than, than two or three. So we came to the, over a lot of conversation and a lot of counseling, we decided at one. And I asked them, how is it that you never had this question, did this, this, this never came up before you came to me and before I asked this question? And she turned to me and she said, I thought about it, but I didn't want to ruin a good thing. Don't be worried about ruining a good thing. Don't get where you're two years and eight months about to get married and you're asking yourself existential questions, real questions that matter for you too as a couple. Don't be worried about pushing. Rupture is good for relationships. Fighting is good as long as you know how to resolve. You need to, one of the tools that I teach in my premarital workshops is how to fight because you need to be able to resolve. You don't want to let it fester, but rupture is good in a relationship. So I want to ask you, again, the red flag. Remember the question that the person asked was about the red flag. They brought up something earlier and, and then they brought it back and it was a serious conversation. The person ignored it. So the real question is, I, I want you to look at the person who you're dating and say to them, you know, a while ago you started talking about this and this thing. And it seemed to me that you didn't want to anymore. I just want to know, is it because you're afraid I'm going to be upset about it? Or maybe it's too early in our relationship or it's something you never wanted to talk about it. You can just be really nice and gentle and bring this up, especially if you're thinking about it. It's something that's really important to you. And then let them answer for themselves. It could be something that they want to talk about, but they had let it slip originally and maybe it was too early. That's okay. And maybe they just need an opening for you to say, it's okay, let's talk about it. I'm not going to think any less of you. I like you. I would say if you are religious and this is a shidduch dating, um, three, the third date is really early to get really personal and vulnerable. I know some people are ready to be open and some need more time, but you got to just gauge it out. You have to gauge it out. And um, that's one of the great things about a matchmaker. If you have a matchmaker that's kind of following you through the process, then you can ask the matchmaker to ask, you know, I'd like to bring up something serious tonight. Is it okay? If I bring up something serious tonight, that's one of the advantages of having an actual, not just, you know, a matchmaker that introduces you, which is wonderful as well, but a matchmaker that also kind of follows you through the relationship. Okay, next one. I'm going to go back to the pre-questions before um, 
before tonight. This question comes in, does an emotional connection need to be in place before getting engaged or does it only come after getting married? Wow, great question. Does an emotional connection need to be in place before getting engaged or does it only come after marriage? So I think it matters a little whether it's a religious dating or non-religious dating. I'm just speaking to both kinds of dating because I know that there's different people that date in different ways here. In religious dating, you can begin to experience the potential for the state of an emotional connection because it's so, you know, you're not touching the whole Shomer Nagia thing. For those of you who are familiar with it, you're not touching. So there's a lot of, it's a lot more intense and a lot more sensual. So maybe you can start developing that emotional connection. If there's touching involved, it becomes less, less intense and less sensual. Um, It's kind of like these two magnets that are attracted to each other, but they're still kind of far away. So they can't touch yet, so to speak. And even though they can't touch, they feel the pull towards each other. And that's how they know that when they do eventually touch, they will stick together. There's that emotional pull, that magnetic pull. So it's like you can feel that you want to open your emotions to this person completely and that it's possible that they feel the same way, but it's not actualized yet. Emotional connection, real emotional connection takes years to develop. And the true work of marriage is that building that emotional connection. It's going to take a lifetime. So even if you're dating and you're touching, it's not necessarily mean there's an emotional connection. There's a very, like I said earlier tonight, there's a very big difference between lust and love. You're just, you're, you're confusing love for lust. So you think that there's an emotional connection because touch is sensational, but it's not really an emotional connection. So it could be actually, if you're touching, that you have less of that magnetic pull. Like you took out that magnetism. You took out that, that yearning, that wanting more because you each have already what you wanted. Whereas if you're not touching, you are able to create that, that, that sensual experience, like the magnets, like you feel that emotion, that raw emotion. Okay, here's another religious question. How important is it to be on the same hashkafic, which means uh, religious or religiously ideological wavelength? Could a match work if the girl is much more religious than the boy? Um, So what I say, and again, I'm generalizing here, every situation is different, that definitely if, if the girl is more religious than the boy, that's okay. But if the guy is more religious than the girl, it's not as good because she will be the mainstay of the relationship. And so she will, she will end up bringing him to a place where they can have a mutual understanding where he will just, as a result, they just grow further and further apart, unfortunately, Um, which is, I've seen something I've seen a lot, but at the same time, the question you have to ask yourself is, If you are more religious than him, how would you handle that? Would you nag him? Would you fight with him? Would you try to be his rabbi? A lot of women do that. They turn into the rabbis for their husbands. If you are deciding to be your husband's rabbi or your husband's religious mentor, forget about it. It's not going to work. 
But if you're able to focus on the good that he does, on the mitzvah that he does, on the, the good things that he does, and you can appreciate what he's accomplishing, if that's the case, then yes, very much yes. And it could take him years to catch up to you. But if you handle it correctly, from my experience, you're going to see he will surpass you. But what ends up happening is a lot of women in that relationship, they become the rabbi and they kind of, they, they, they crush the religious desire of that man. And he ends up moving backwards instead of forwards. Um, okay, next question. During these COVID-19 times and different dating practices, how can you tell if a boy is cheap? Okay, I think I read that correctly. How can you tell if a boy is cheap? Oh, there's more to it. Um, no, that's it. I guess, oh, I see. If it wasn't COVID-19, then you'd be going out on dates so you could see if he tips the waiter, I guess. People do that. Okay, interesting. Um, my answer to you is, what do you really want to know? Do you want to know if he's cheap? I think you want to know if he respects your intelligence. I think you want to know if he respects your emotions. I think you want to know that if you pick him, will he get to guide your family? Or is he the boss and stubborn? Or does he respect his mother? Does he respect the people who he has to be around? How does he speak about the people he has to be around? We don't know what kind of husband he'll be, but we know who he is with the people he has to be around. And that's going to be an inkling of what kind of husband he's going to be. I mean, being cheap might mean he saves his money and he's going to buy a house for you one day. Maybe he's careful to pay all the bills. It could mean that he's responsible and he's not careful. He's not like negligent to throw away his money on, on silly stuff. But if you really do want to know, if you ask yourself the right questions, it's going to tell you. You can ask about things people spend extra, like how often do you go to restaurants? How often do you go out for entertainment? How do, what's your approach to shopping? You can ask these questions in the dating process without knowing whether or not he's gonna tip the waiter. And you can figure that out. If that's something that really matters to you, I'm not sure why it matters to you. I guess maybe you want someone who spends frivolously. I don't know if that's a great idea. Um, okay, next question. What do you recommend for people living with high-risk, vulnerable family members? How do they date now? Do they do masks six feet away? Um, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Ask your doctor. I guess probably uh, meeting outside is good, based on what the experts are saying now. Um, I kind of disagree about masks. Not that I don't think people should wear them, but I don't think you should date without seeing the other person's face. Just my thought. Maybe you can video chat. Uh, whatever works. Okay. Next one. Okay, here's a, here's a tough one. Here's a, a married, from a married person. I've been separated from my ex-wife for five months. I gave her a get, so under Jewish law, we're not married anymore. The question is that we still talk as friends. No, we don't have kids or anything. And I know what I'm holding on to is unhealthy, I think. We entered the marriage, lived like roommates, 
rather than a married couple. And we're just best friends. I know you've said before that men and women cannot just be friends, but does that apply here? Well, first of all, men and women could theoretically be friends. They're just anything is possible, but not probable. So my question back to you is, is that desirable? Are you okay with that? Is it holding you back from moving forward? Are you satisfying the place in your life for women with a friendship when it should be for romance? I mean, if you want to learn how to have a passionate relationship, that becomes a that ends up becoming a real marriage. You need to forget the old way first. I mean, I think it's really, really difficult. And I think that you could be friends with her for the rest of your life and never get into a relationship with someone else. She will be taking up that space that someone who you should be in a romantic relationship will be taking up. She's going to be, and, and yeah, it's great that you're friends, but Maybe it's because you have this secret hope that maybe she's going to come back with you. But if you're just brother and sister, if you just became friends and there's no romance there, well, then the relationship dissipated. There's nothing you can do about it. When usually when there's a man and woman and they're in a relationship, one of them should want more. That is the nature of men and women being in relationships. And if you have that hope that, one day you're going to rekindle your flame. You're going to end up living in that relationship in your head for a very long time. You need to mourn it. You have to go through the process. Right now, you're in the first process of mourning your relationship. It's called denial. This is typical denial process. That's great. But at some point, you're going to have to move on. Some people, I've seen this before, live in denial for the rest of their life. They will live in this kind of state that you're talking about. I hope, I hope you don't. I pray that you don't. But the next part of the mourning process is mourning it. You have to actually mourn the relationship. And you have to figure out what went wrong, what you did wrong, because you were in it. You are the common denominator too. It's not only his or her fault. It's your fault too. You were in it. So you have to mourn it and you have to figure out what you did wrong and what you're not going to do the same next time. And then you can... Be ready to get into a relationship, another relationship. You, you, it's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight, but you are in the first process of mourning it. And that's the denial process. Okay. Here is one from an older single. The question is like this. I was married for 14 years and I have two wonderful grown sons who are on their own. After being divorced, I've tried to find a partner with whom to share the next phase of my life. I'm a bit more traditional in my beliefs, and I wonder if my old beliefs that applied in a marriage can ever apply to a later relationship. Is it too much to expect a man to take care of his partner as if a wife, meaning emotionally, like if she gets sick or financially if needed, and it reciprocated? It seems that men nowadays, again, I'm just focusing on that generalization. A lot of singles do that. I'm going to change your question to, it seems that some men nowadays, you can use the word some or also, just don't generalize. 
It seems that some men nowadays just want a woman for the good times, but are not ready to share themselves 100%. They are afraid of being taken advantage of. It's kind of like each person for themselves. Am I expecting too much? Or have I just not met the right person? Or are those men obsolete? There are good men out there. Don't generalize. There are also some men who will fit into the category that you're describing. Um, I'm curious as to why you got divorced, because I think that would, I, I have an idea of why you got divorced just literally from the question that you asked. Um, it's very, it's very telling of you. I think that you think the problem is that you can't find a person who is as giving as you, and you're afraid that person is going to take advantage of you. And I think there are wonderful giving people out there. It could be that you are attracted to more of that extrovert, like really like, you know, uh, or that, um, that alpha male, and you need someone who's more quiet and introverted and, you know, more settled and more of a, a solid balance for you. I'm assuming that you're an extrovert. You need someone who's an introvert. And I, I don't know you, so I'm just guessing all of this. And it, and it could be harder because you're older and many of those wonderful giving people out there are married, but again, you just need one. And maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. And maybe the problem is, is that you have a superiority complex and you seem to think that you're better than everyone else you meet. And they're all not as giving as you. They're all not as good as you. I don't know. I think you're trying to humble brag by calling yourself old-fashioned. I'm not buying it. You've got work to do. Next question. How to get rid of blaming oneself for not being able to help when leaving a relationship with a mentally sick individual? Number one, you need a coach. You need a therapist, you need a mentor, you need someone who can talk to. There's a lot to unpack in that two-sentence question. What I'll tell you, and I'm just saying this as a generalization for the sake of, of, of tonight's class, you're going to have to find the root cause of your feelings. If you're blaming yourself, there's a reason why. It could mean that you have a deep-seated belief that you're responsible for everyone and everything around you. It's very possible that's, that's what you have this, this even subconscious belief. It could mean that you think that you're Superman or you're Superwoman and you're capable of helping everyone. And it could be that this sick person, as you call them, quote unquote, sick person, has convinced you that it's all your fault. What I would say to you is don't focus on the blame. It really doesn't help you to blame, not yourself and not the other person. And you need a good therapist, you need a good coach, someone that's going to help you figure out why you blame yourself and what is the core belief that is making you feel this way. And then you can address changing that core belief. Remember, the guilt you feel is a symptom. Don't treat the symptom, treat the disease. 
Okay. I'm going to try to do uh, faster answers now. I, instead of going, you know, I was deep diving before, I'm going to do faster answers because we're slowly coming to a close of tonight's class and I haven't even gotten through half of the questions. Okay, next question. If a guy seemingly covers all your major non-negotiables, but there are some minor character flaws that stick out to you and you just aren't sure whether the relationship will be what you need it to be, if it progresses to marriage, how do you know whether this person is right, is the right one for you? And I understand that it's okay to say no or end things if the connection feels a bit off or to you, or if the person's minor flaws are things that you can't get over. But I'm always worried about whether I'm being too picky as a result you could, uh, could I miss out on the right person for me? I would say that this is a very common mistake in, in dating, a very common issue. Um, you're, you're deciding if this person is for you long-term when it's not long-term time. When you meet someone, you want to start off with the, the question after your first meeting is, do I want to see them again? Not do I want to marry them. And after the second meeting, it's, do I want to see them again? Not, do I want to marry them? And after the third meeting, it's, do I want to see them again? There's a process to it. Don't start jumping the gun. You are, in this question, you are jumping the gun. I tell you, keep dating. The flaws are either going to get bigger or the flaws are going to get smaller as you get to know the person better. You date until it's a yes is, is a yes or a no is a no. If you're still not sure yes or no, if you still want to see more, if you want to still get to know them more before you decide, then you're not ready to decide this stuff. I mean, I would say this is a very reductionist approach to dating that you have because it's all focused on the negative. You're thinking already about his minor flaws and that he's covered your non-negotiables, but he's not bad. But is he good? Are there things about him that you really like? Does anything excite you? Do you even feel good? If you're just approaching, approaching things like, well, he's got my major checks on the list, no major flaws. To me, this sounds very cerebral. I'm going to ask are you even attracted to this guy? Is there any emotional feelings to him? Do you even like this guy? And if you develop some, uh, some feelings, then I would say at the end, you're not going to even care about his minor flaws. And if you don't develop any feelings, then you need to realize that the checklist is meant to be burned after you make it. It's important but it's not what makes someone yours. What makes someone yours is a bit more intangible. It doesn't go on a list. That's why what I tell, what I tell people after they go through my entire process of making the list is burn the list because then you have a list, but you have to find a person. You're not looking for a person to fit the list. You're looking for a person. And, this, and if you like him, as the saying goes, marry him. It's that simple. If you like him, marry him. Don't start second-guessing yourself. Don't start overanalyzing it. Don't start overthinking it. If you like him, go for it.
Next question. I hope that I'm going a little faster is okay with you and that I'd like to be able to cover a, a couple more questions, at least before we end our talk tonight. How do, how to stop thinking that every dating experience could result in being your basheret? Oh, the opposite. Okay. I feel that this is a hopeful uncertainty has impaired my ability to view the person I'm dating with a clear lens and has given me severe dating anxiety with every person I've dated. And I feel like it's hard to separate this feeling and have a more objective view of each person I date when the ultimate purpose of my dating is for marriage. It's so funny that you're saying that because I find that probably you're not just doing that in dating. You're doing that with every person, every potential person you meet. Oh, could this be the one? Is it, this is, this is the one, this is the one. Oh my gosh, this could be the one. You know what happens is in this situation is you put your defense mechanisms up. It'll never be the one because it's like, this could be the one. Relax, move back. Do I like this person? Am I interested? Do I want to go on another date? That's all that matters. Don't start getting emotionally overwhelmed over this could be the one, this could not be the one, marriage, not marriage. We're not there yet. When you're ready for marriage, you're going to start asking that existential question. Right now, is it, am I interested? Just interested. That's it. Right? On, on Facebook, you can go going or interested. All we want to know right now is interested. That's it. Do I want to know more? Am I curious to know more about this person? Yes or no? Not, do I want to marry them? Not, do I want to spend the rest of my life with them? That's too much. It's too much. You're overwhelming yourself. You're not allowing yourself to go through the process. And I'm going to add to this with a little bit of CBT, a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy. So basically in layman's terms, for those of you who don't know what CBT is, it means that you need to change your thought habits in order to change your behavior. You need to change your thought habits in order to change your behavior. So I'll think, let's think of some, some, some mottos, some mantras that you can think about. Um, one date at a time, right? One date at a time. It's a good mantra. Put it on your fridge. Say them out loud all the time. One date at a time. Or um, I have no idea if this person is right for me and that's okay. If they're right for me, I'm ready to say no to them and that's okay. Sorry, if they're not right for me, I'm ready to say no to them and that's okay. You need like to keep on telling yourself, I don't know if the person is right for me. One date at a time. Or when the time is right, I will meet my Bashert. I don't know when that will be, but I'm going to pray that it'll be soon. But it's out of my direct control. Write these things down. Put them on your fridge. Say them out loud through the day. Work with a friend. Work with a therapist. Make up your own mantras. The more you think these things, the more better you're going to feel when you're dating. Don't be scared. It could be really scary, and it is. I'm not saying that it's not scary. It's very difficult, but it's really, really important that you allow yourself to go through this process and allow the process to happen. Okay, next one. Why does it take so long for some people to find their basherit? When they have worked hard on bettering themselves, they take on more mitzvot, done their hishtad lutz, which they've done their preparation. Um, I know everyone's journey to finding their basherit is different, but sometimes it's hard to understand why good people 
who have worked so hard to find their match and are improving themselves along the way have to wait so long to find the one. The first thing I want to do is I want to commiserate with you. I'm sorry. I feel really bad. I'm sad for you. I know it's hard. It's really hard. I, I, I know a lot of singles who have it really hard. I feel like in our technology-connected world, it's getting harder and harder and harder as the years go on. And it's tough. But I'll tell you, there's so many different reasons this could be the case. I'm going to just, off the top of my head, list a bunch of them. Um, you haven't met the right person yet. You have unrealistic expectations. You don't have a good role model for marriage. So you fear marriage. Your parents are smothering you. They're too involved. Your parents are not involved enough if that's the situation. You don't know what you want. You think what you really think is it's got to be love at first sight, but that's never going to happen. Sometimes I just want to like go on a first date and take fireworks and put it behind someone's back and let it you know, go off so that way there's fireworks. Love at first sight is not real. It does happen occasionally, but it's rare. Um, you're afraid of making a mistake in choosing. You're, you're afraid of divorce. You're afraid of marriage. You have unresolved issues of abuse. You have unresolved issues of poverty. You have unresolved issues of a loss of a parent, uh, unresolved issues of abandonment. I feel like I'm doing uh, Vidway now, and I'm doing the confessional on Yom Kippur. You have unresolved issues of uh, an overbearing parent. Um, you don't have the skills to be in a, in a long-term relationship. You don't know how to, you know, you haven't learned those skills. You're in love with yourself. The good news is that I call these things little pebbles and pebbles can be moved and you can change that. And even after all of these things, you could have all of them solved and you can have it all figured out, but you can still be stuck. It's possible. And this is why bad things happen to good people. And we have no way of understanding this. It could be a kapara. It could be some gilgul. Who knows what? Some things are beyond our understanding. But I'm going to tell you is it doesn't stop you from trying. Keep on trying. You only need one. There is somebody out there for you. Keep on trying. Okay, let's keep on going. Um, I have a picture or standard for the man I want to complete my life with, but it seems like I cannot find that one. So my answer to you on that is that you're not looking for a picture or a standard. You're looking for a person. Replace your picture and your standard with a person. If you're looking for a picture or a standard, then get married to a cardboard cutout, and then you'll be okay. I don't really understand why people will, you know, you have someone in front of you. Look at the person who they are. No one's perfect. It's never going to be a perfect picture. It's never going to be a perfect standard. So you're never going to find the person based on that picture or standard. What is a soulmate? This person asks. A soulmate is the other half of your soul which means it's the complement of who you are. If you look at you and the person you're in a relationship with as a whole picture, if they're a whole picture, then you're half of it and they're half of it. So you have to ask yourself, what am I missing 
and the other half of my whole picture. For those of you who haven't done the big five, I spoke about it a few weeks ago, um, I encourage you to do the big five. And if you do the big five and you put yourself on one side of the big five, you'll know what you're looking for in the other five. And I use that a lot in my matchmaking. It's one of my secrets. Um, what happens when you're really vulnerable on the first date and everything is a mess? Are you nervous and you start talking? Not for him because it's really uncomfortable. What do you do with situation? In this situation, what, um, what, what do you do? Um, there's, like I said before, there's no way to unawkwardize it. It's awkward. A first date is awkward. Just call it out, say what it is, and hopefully you won't uh, be as nervous as you were in the past. Learn from your past for the future. Okay. Um, can you send me the three things with and the three things without when it comes to dating? Yes, just email me. Don't put it here, but email me. Um, you know what I'll do? I'll just, I'm gonna send out a follow-up email with some resources for you from this class. I will put it into that email, okay? Long distance. How do you deal with that type of dating? I find it to be really hard to get to know a person that way. Any thoughts and tips? I am actually going to do a future class on long distance relationships because I'm getting a lot of questions like that. Actually, a number of people. So there's a few questions. If you ask me a question tonight and you, you haven't heard it yet, A, it could be I didn't get to it because I have a lot more questions than I have time for. But also it could be that I'm deciding to do a full session, an upcoming session just on that. So on long distance relationships is something I'm going to do a full session on in the coming uh, weeks or months. Um, okay. Um, matchmakers set me up with eccentric matches that are, in a, that, 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 are, that are appropriate. What should I do? Um, be thankful that they're setting you up. It's a really thankless task, setting people up. Nobody, it's so hard. And I, no one's asking for accolade. But appreciate that someone actually took the time out of their busy schedule to care a little bit about you to set you up with someone. It's an unbelievable thing that somebody actually cares a little bit about you, that they actually thought of you and they thought of setting you up. Every single one of the matchmakers that I deal with, they're volunteers. They don't get anything for it. So the fact that they even want to set you up is a beautiful thing. Um, is there a recording available after? If you ask me for it, there is, this is being recorded right now so I can make it available for you. Oh, somebody just gave me the name for the Zivug. I will pray for you. Absolutely. Thank you. What are your suggestions for online dating and meeting someone in the U.S. with the borders that are closed indefinitely? Um, yeah, we're going to talk about long-distance dating and how you can do that even through Zoom and through FaceTime. Um, I've seen a lot of success with that, and I'm coaching a number of people who are now doing some, some long-distance dating, and it's working very well. So I see a lot of a lot of the elements of it that could work and you really could get to know a person via Zoom, but you have to make the time for it. It's a little different than being in person. Okay. Okay, people are sending me their addresses, questions. What if the other person does not need you? So I spoke about the fact that in a relationship, you want to find someone who needs you. What if the other person 
does not need you? What a great question. Um, then they're probably not ready to get married. They're probably not a compliment for you. It could be that they're the right person, wrong time. In Judaism, we really believe that it needs to be the right time also, not just the right person. So it could be that, yeah, I mean, you may have to, you need to need the other person. Do we have more than one soulmate? Uh, according to some opinions, we have up to seven people who could be our soulmates. So you have options there. Okay. What's a pro of having a picture? Someone asked, why should I even have a picture in my profile? My answer to you is it's a good idea to have a picture. Try to get a good picture. I know it's hard to do, but it's good to have a picture. Um, okay. Is Jay Montreal also for secular? Actually, Jay Montreal started exclusively for secular, but now it's been opened up to, to modern Orthodox and more religious people as well. Okay, next question. If we have a great communication, we figured out how we want to raise our children and, they're, and, and we are on the same page as to how we want our future to be, but she has only recently started to be interested in becoming more religious. Should I propose? Um, I need to know a lot more information. My, my, my initial question is like, what, what is a level of religious observance? Uh, I mean, there's so many variables. If you want, you can um, uh, email me after tonight's class. Uh, you have my email because I sent you an email to be able to log on to tonight's class. So just answer that email and tell me more specifics and I will um, be very happy to help you. Okay. What if he was more religious, but over time became less, and now you're more religious than him? Could that still work? These are a lot of these similar questions that I'm getting. Um, yes and no. I mean, you have to just not be his rabbi. You have to not want to control. I mean, I, I think in that particular case, you should not have um, any, you should not have conversations about religion for now, until you can figure out a way to have a conversation about religion. When asked how to know if he's cheap or not, motivated to work hard, since a lot of dating is now in people's backyards and not him planning dates. I understand that, and that's why I answered it the way I answered it. Um, I'm just going through some of these other questions. I hope that's okay, because uh, we're going to finish up in a few minutes. Think about how, um, think about the new person coming into your life and how they would feel about the relationship with your ex-wife. Okay, that's having to do. Okay, you know what? I'm going to leave a lot of these. There's a lot of stuff that I missed. There's so many of your questions. I'm very sorry for those of you who I didn't get to your questions. I will do another event. And any question that I didn't get to tonight, I'm going to save them. And I'm going to get to them. And the next time we do the open questions, don't forget, um, my next session is going to be Sunday, August 23rd. It's going to be at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern time, because um, of Dr. Asal Romanelli being in Israel. It's gonna be nine o'clock in the evening for him. And we're gonna do a great session called The Rabbi and the Therapist. And uh, I just wanna thank you all for being here. I wanna wish you a very happy Tuba Av and may all the blessings that have been bestowed upon the Jewish people for many centuries on this day, may it be bestowed upon you. And may this be the day that you finally find your soulmate. May this be the day 
that you finally find the person that you've been waiting so long for. And may it be today. And I will do my best um, today. For those of you who didn't sign up in J Montreal, sign up. I will do my best to set you up with someone because uh, I, I really believe there's somebody out there for you. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. I feel your pain. I feel how difficult it is. Don't lose hope. And uh, until the next time we meet, you know where to find me. You can email me. You can message me. You can follow me on Facebook or Insta or Twitter or wherever else you follow me. And uh, thank you for being here and staying uh, for two hours. I cannot believe it's been two hours of answering questions. So uh, it's been really special. And I hope that I shine some light on some of these questions. And it wasn't just only personal, but it was also uh, global for all of you. And thank you very, very much for being here. And uh, it's really an honor to be trusted with your private and very um, personal, intimate questions. Like I told you in the beginning of tonight's class, these were some of the most difficult questions I've ever been asked. And I'm really happy to have this forum to be able to answer them. And, I, and you should know that if you're asking the question, you're not alone. There's a lot of other people asking that, question, that same question. As you can see, someone else asked the question and you related to it. So think about that for your own questions. You're not alone. And Hashem should bless each and every one of you. Every single one of you. This is, uh, you're okay. You'll be okay. Hashem has a beautiful plan in store for you. So have a good evening. Till next time. Bye. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.